do check on yours. Check, check, check. Is it on? Yeah. No. Oh, that's why I'm not picking you up. Was it off this whole yeah. time? <laughs> oh you handed me an off microphone. Sorry. Alright, this is the EKN Hot Seat. Welcome to a podcast that we've been trying to establish here a little bit over the last couple of years. Uh, unfortunately, you know, time at racetrack is very limited with the amount of activities going on the racetrack. Uh, on and off the racetrack, I should say. Uh, so I am David Cole here with the Ecan Hot Seat. Uh, we we had a couple guests lined up over the last couple of past events, but unfortunately, it didn't work out. Um, now we actually are able to wrangle in one of the uh, industry members of our sport. He's he's across the board, not only a driver but also in the industry as a helmet painter and a driver coach as well with Corsa Sport and Octane Visual, the two different companies that he's run. TJ Coyne is joining me here. Uh, so we're gonna get in a little bit about TJ Coyne's uh, experience through the sport of karting and kind of, and then we'll get into a couple of current topics uh, about the sport as well. So let's start off, I'll, and I won't interrupt you. We've already, this is take two actually, so we'll get into that <laughs> a little bit. I'll let you kind of go through your, your progression in the sport, where you started, what you've done through your career, and where you are at, your, at this current point right now. So uh, I started racing go-karts when I was 11 years old, which would have been 2001. Um, and I started racing at uh, Badger Kart Club in Dowsman, Wisconsin. Um, and I did club racing for a few years, um, running Yamaha, Sportsman, um, and then through the various Yamaha classes uh, up to KPV, uh, Comet, whatever you want to call it, and then um, tag classes eventually too. Um, and in between there, we started doing regional and national races, um, kind of dipped our toes a little bit, and then... Uh, once we felt comfortable, we started running that a little bit more, and then since probably about 2008 or nine, it's been strictly regional and national stuff, um, and then the past few years has been very minimal racing for me <laughs> because I'm an old man now, um, but every now and then I get let out of the house and get to come to the track a little bit, and that's what we're doing here this weekend. Exactly. So we'll get to that a little bit later. Let's talk about kind of the start in our opening take that we didn't that we recorded but wasn't picking up your microphone you talked about you didn't get started in kid carts that's kind of one of the right. major factors right now um why didn't you get started and why did it take so long for you to get involved in the sport that obviously you love yeah um so i remember going to the racetrack when i was five years old with my parents to watch uh at at dousman my dad took me to watch the go-kart races the one day and he was like this is really cool. Wouldn't it be really cool to do this? And I was like, yeah. And my mom was like, absolutely not. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think my mom was a little bit tentative and a little bit worried about me. Right. Her baby boy going out there and burning rubber. So, And, yeah, um, she was a race fan. Right. She was the race fan. So she was – you would have thought she was interested into it, but she uh, – she decided that we needed to wait a little bit longer. So right. I got a little bit older, a little bit bigger. Um, so 
she was able to hold off my dad for five years or so until I was 11, and then my dad was like, "We're we got to do this. It's so cool. Let's do it." Well, and that's an interesting age because it's at the the uh, upper echelon of say sportsman at that yeah. time or cadet. Yeah. So there's a lot of kids that pro- I don't know probably at that time at least had four to five years of racing already, right. and you came in no lap time, no laps whatsoever right into the sport yeah was was it a tough transition to begin what kind of walk us through like so I think how that we had went a, i think we had a pretty measured approach to do it um obviously we didn't want to be like a problem out there on the track so my dad made me just run practice days like i didn't race right away i practiced just practice days for half a year before wow. i actually okay. raced. um and he was like once you get to this lap time where we know we're not going to get lapped we're not going to be in the way too much then we can race which was kind of cool because it gave me an incentive to improve and get better so I could race. Um, so, yeah, he, we did a half a season of just practice. Um, and then once we got to the racing, I mean, I remember paging through the rule book and all this stuff, trying to remember what I got to do. And um, I remember my first heat race, I lined up in the back because at Badger, when you're a rookie, you start in the back no matter what. Yes, yeah. And Not a lot of clubs do that anymore. No, and they really Because I think Badger still does that. Yeah, Badger still does that. And they don't always qualify. It's a lot of times just P-pick heat races. That makes sense because you don't want to get mixed in with the yeah. guys trying to pass. Yeah. They have experience. Okay. Yeah, they do qualify now sometimes, which is also good. But um, So I started right in the back of the pack, and I remember they waved off the first green flag start because everybody was out of line, and I had no idea that was even an option, and I just piled right into the cart in front of me, <laughs> and the, the track marshals are waving at me and, and, and gesturing, and I was like, I don't even know, I don't even know what's going on. Right no now. idea. Um, but yeah, so I would say from a driving perspective, I was pretty well prepared going in. I wasn't too worried about the driving, but like the logistical stuff of where do I go? How do I start a race? What do the flags mean? That stuff I needed a little bit more practice. That and, not, and again, when you first start out, that's a major part of it because. It's something you don't want to do at the national level, but that's something oh, yeah. we do see. Like, for some reason, we're we're now like shoving new people out in the national level, which I don't think really. It's all again. Na- we it's kind of been a topic. We'll get into it a little bit right now. National licensing system. Yeah. Like what? Like my thoughts of we. It's something we need. Yeah. It's something we need to track now with all the electronic, like everything digital. Yeah. We can we can see when this driver races at track a track b track c and then they go to track d they know exactly what they've done over the course of not only the season but throughout their career is that something that you think the sport needs or do you think that's just something we just whatever i think it's absolutely something the sport needs because you do see a lot of at these national races you do see people who are showing up with very minimal experience and I think it's going to be a better experience overall for them, too, if you prepare them before they come here. It's like I was saying, it's no fun to come here and spend all this money and be two, three seconds off the pace. Right. Because you're just not ready yet. You need yeah. more experience. You need more time. Um, but what about those that are fast enough but don't have the racecraft? Because, yeah. again, racecraft is a whole nother issue that we could go on yeah, forever exactly. and ever about. And I, that's why I think that licensing thing <laughs> needs to happen because – you get a lot of guys too, and you see it sometimes here where you know you you go to a track and you have club racers, and they can do a lap. They're very fast at their home right. track, but they they race against two guys normally or whatever it is, and they have no idea how to pass. They don't know how to run a race, and 
you know, I think it's going to be better for them and their development, too, if they get a little bit more time running with other cards and, and leveling up instead of jumping right into the deep end right away. Good. I'm glad you support my idea with that. Of course. <laughs> Hopefully down the road we'll, we'll be able to establish something like that. But yeah. I think I think in because the way America is, it's kind of like I don't think everybody will follow along. Do you think that's going to be one of the concerns? Like tracks would be like, oh, I don't need this. Or, or this series is like, I don't need that licensing system. Yeah, I mean, overall, we know the sport is kind of fractured. It's a big country. There's a lot of... Um, vested interests between engine manufacturers and tire oh, yeah. manufacturers, all this stuff. So it's hard to get everybody on the same page, but I think we're getting to a point in karting now where there is some cooperation between the major series, at least. Um, because a lot of people are just really sick of like poor driving standards and people showing up who sh don't, who are not ready to be there yet. Um, you know, we obviously have a problem with driving standards for the past 10 years or whatever it is at this point. Um, and we get things like the pushback bumper, which helps for a while. And then people find other ways to wreck <laughs> people and run people off the road. So um, I think absolutely a licensing system is needed. And I think if it ever comes into play, I think you'll see big series and major names in the sport jump on board with that and support it. We just we, we just need an entity to actually take care of it because yeah. that's one of the problems. And I've said it in the past. I don't think ACUS does enough for the sport of karting here in the United States. Yeah. Where you look at Canada, ACUS, the, the, the ACUS of Canada or the ASN of Canada mm -hmm. is behind karting 100% or at least used to be now yeah. that they've gone through the turmoil. It's ha Italy, other countries that are all behind the sport of karting, they understand the revenue it can create, but it also they also understand that possible Formula One drivers, possible uh, uh, IMSA, not well IMSA here, but like World Endurance Challenge or yeah. other international motorsports competitions will come from the sport of karting, not just a doctor that has a lot of money. Yeah, and all those series have licenses too. Right, you have to prove that you're eligible to be there. Yeah, so why would you not? incorporate that into the lower levels where guys literally have zero experience right at least when you get to those levels they kind of know what they're doing even if <laughs> well they... but even scca you know yeah. you have to start somewhere right but at least they have a record of what races you are at how you yeah i mean i if, if that's the one thing like if you've never been to a scca race they actually have people in race control marking down all of the calls that are made by corner workers for either dropping a wheel or spinning out or yeah. con contact yeah. they actually record all of this all of these incidents so i mean we have all the penalties recorded in in race hero and, and the my laps and and all the scoring software it's not hard for a pro a system to record all of this and not necessarily you know every bumper penalty or maybe every contact is a penalty against your license mm -hmm. but at least it shows what you've done and and the type of driver you are kind of becoming yeah. yeah and like you said we have all the data we have the tools to do this right i think the main issue is just getting everybody on board with it yeah um, you know because scuse is going to want to do their own thing and uspks is going to want to do their own thing to some extent but um Obviously, my dad is <laughs> series admin here, so I have a little insight on background stuff between all these series. I right. think there is 
um, a desire to cooperate a little bit on some of this stuff and, and I, I try agree. to improve the sport as a whole. Yeah, I, I, you know, we've talked with everybody here at USPKS, Rock Cup USA, Supercarts USA. There is, there is that that want. Again, it just has to kind of come together. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the next step that we're at with that. Yeah, there's been some specific incidents the last couple of years where it was like a little bit embarrassing, I think, for the sport right. overall. So I think you have these series now being like, all right, we need to fix this. And not just here, but international as well, too, because... You know, you got some guy throwing a nose cone at carts. Yeah. You got fist fights at the scale line. That's just, you know, stuff you don't need. Yeah. And that, that stuff travels word of mouth, and you hear about it, you forget about it. But if you have well, a licensing system and you can keep track of that, and you can say, that guy, remember that guy? Right. He's got a point on his license or right. whatever it is. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be better. Do you, do you think back, looking back at early in the career, do you think a licensing program would have been a good idea for some for some of the uh, you know the old WK Manufacturers Cup races and and um, uh, Midwest Sprint Series stuff? Well, I would say there was certainly some ridiculous <laughs> stuff going on. Yeah, I would say everything is a, was a lot tamer back then. It, it was it in was general. more just kind of man versus man situation where now it's almost it's almost kid versus kid, right? Yeah, I would say some of that has trickled down to the junior classes <laughs> where we have some some pretty fired up juniors out there a couple times. But um, I think in general, like like we just talked about, the past 10 years, the driving standards have gotten worse. We all know right. that. Um, and I think everything's just gotten more aggressive. Now, what you mentioned the pushback bumper. Kind of, no problem. We keep going. We're good. That was loud, though. That was Thanks, very Scott. loud. Thanks, um, Scott. Yeah, keep going. But make um, quiet. <laughs> we need a restrictor on that. Um, what, what, what kind of? Just, just kind of put it out there. What are your thoughts right now on the pushback like when it was introduced to what it is now? Uh, I still think it's a good idea. Okay. I was in favor of it when it was introduced. It's not a perfect system. We all know that. It sucks on the first lap when you get piled into from behind and you knock your bumper in on the guy in front of you. But I think of it as if you're training to go up the open wheel ladder. You can't touch another car or your wing is going to fall off. It doesn't True. matter how you touch that other car, what the reason for that was. Right. You have to be conscious of that and protect the car a little bit. And, yeah, that's something we've seen over the progression, like F4. Yeah. Like, we've seen a lot of incidents with, you know, carters going into the car racing. They just kind of don't care and yeah. just plow into drivers and, oh, my wing's not there. I can't drive this car. I have yeah. to come pit. And then their career – a lot of kids have, have suffered with that, so I guess that's one good point. But, I mean, moving, you know, looking ahead, is that something that we're going to see continue? Do you think that pushback bumper is here for the infinity amount of time for the sport of karting? I hope so. Okay. I would say that, um, I mean, I can remember getting yelled at by a lot of race directors <laughs> several years ago because we didn't have bumpers, and guys are just driving through people. Yeah. Once you introduce the full width rear bumper, you need something to curb the temptation to just drive through somebody. And I think the pushback bumper isn't perfect, but it does a good enough job. Yeah. Um, and they keep tweaking the penalties, you know, to make it a little bit more fair. Um, so it isn't, you know, like an, a race ender if you make minimal contact or whatever. But um, I think it, the system is, it's a constant dialing it in. Well, the, the vi and then the video stuff is, has been yeah, a, a been kind of a too. huge thing because... Yeah. You can show, hey, we got bottled up at the start, but now I know sometimes they're not reviewing the starts depending on what's going on. But a lot of times, like you said, the, the contact that actually pushes in the bumper isn't necessarily 
malicious or a penalty worthy yeah, contact. Or, or a wreck happens in front of you and you drive into a cart that you couldn't avoid and you get a not only now have you broken your go kart and lost fifteen spots, now you get a bumper penalty on top right. of it. It sucks, but I you know, I think they're making provisions to counteract that kind of stuff too. So I think it's just a work in progress and it's tough because the driving standards keep moving, you know, we're more aggressive here, less aggressive here. So sometimes they think they have it figured out on the penalties and then sometimes they go Oh, this is completely out of control. We need to be harsher. So it's a tough thing to manage, and you're, the problem is you're never going to make everybody happy. But I think it's a reasonably good system. So as a driver coach, is, is pushback bumper something you talk about with your drivers, or is that more for the experienced drivers and not necessarily the new kids or drivers coming into the sport? Well, David, I'm a very clean driver and i, I but, always tell my drivers to be very clean but um, well that, but that's that's how it should be period yeah, but yeah. again there's going to be contact in racing it's go-karting we have yeah. plastic side pods and bumpers it, yeah. you're allowed to make a little bit of contact here and there as long as you're not firing somebody into a into a pond over there on i-70 but well, i mean um, again sometimes you're drafting a guy and we're pulling up on somebody and they might break check and it gets pushed back is that yeah is that a topic, or is that we, just something yeah. you talk we about? We have conversations okay. about this where, especially with the younger kids, you know, the problem with the younger kids is they don't always see the big picture. They see what's right in front of them, right. and they take everything personally. So it's always a constant, they did this to me, they, did, <laughs> they wronged me. And we have to look at the video and go, well, actually, but I think you could have left another foot there, and your bumper would have got pushed in. Right. You know, you're being unreasonably close and aggressive with this guy. So we do have those conversations because a lot of these kids are just, you know, they, they think they can just lean on each other all the time. And you got to remember, you have that pushback bumper. So we, you got to talk about it sometimes. And, and that's exactly it. You lean on each other. Like that's one of the biggest things that you see in mini, micro, and even sometimes in the junior categories is they can't, they don't realize or understand how to back off a tad going through a corner because if that driver in front of them makes a mistake, they don't, they won't have room if they're on their bumper through the entire corner. Is it right? I mean, it's just, it's hard. Is it, is it hard to, because they don't have the experience of that to get it through to like, Hey, give them a little space. Is it just something that you have to repetitively tell them or is it just something they have to experience to understand? I think a lot of it is experiencing it to understand. I think a lot of go-karting and learning how to drive fast and competent is experience. Experience. Like you're just not going to get it when you're, you know, when you're nine years old, you've been racing for two years. You haven't seen all these situations right. yet. So as they come up, you learn about them. But, um, yeah, you definitely see kids who are just on the bumper and it's, and they just run into a guy and, and, and then they go, well, I couldn't get by him. And then you have, so it's not necessarily about bumper penalties, but it's about, you know, if you leave two feet here, just back up the braking two feet, you're going to get the run off the corner. Right. So you can teach them that kind of stuff. It's not always about avoiding a penalty, but it's about keeping, you know, it's well, again, racecraft. But, it, it but necessarily, you're not necessarily avoiding the penalty. You're, you're trying to gauge a path or, or plan a pass. Yeah, it's, it's basic but, racecraft stuff. Yeah. And a lot of these kids have one speed, and that's flat out all the time. I don't care who's in front of me. <laughs> I don't care who's behind me. I'm just going to be driving. I'm either going to drive through this guy or around him. And so, that, and yeah, that's always, I mean, that's something we are seeing across not only club and regional level, but even at the national level too. Um, what, as, as a driver coach, what, what is like one of the main, is it 
key elements that you're trying to get? Is it consistency or is it, is it just paying attention to, to the, the racetrack itself and how to drive a certain racetrack? Consistency is a major thing for kids that age. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down to lack of focus. Okay. When you're that age, you're pretty easily distracted by everything. And I can understand that. <laughs> um, so uh, a lot of it is consistency. I get a kick out of it. Sometimes these dads will come up to me and they'll be like, oh, man, that kid who won the race, so consistent. And I was watching <laughs> the same race and I go, I saw five mistakes in five laps. I mean, the, the level of consistency is just down for everybody in that class because right. it's, it's a young kid's class. And now, on the opposite end of it, I understand now why these guys in Masters make mistakes sometimes, because I'm out there making all kinds of mistakes. Well, but that, that's just, that has to deal with not having enough track time. I mean, yeah, I mean, some of that is but, not having track time, but also I think some of it is getting older. We pause for this quick commercial break. Stay tuned for more here on the EKN Radio Network. In karting, it's important to be supported by the right people. With over 40 years of experience in the sport, Trinity Karting Group has everything you need to make your program successful. We do it all, and we do it right. Trackside support and arrive and drive programs at many of karting's biggest East Coast events, full product sales and service, and professional coaching from our experienced staff. Trinity Karting Group is a full service operation based at the Motorsports Country Club of Cincinnati which gives us access to our custom-designed driver training facility. This allows us to offer private one-on-one -on -one coaching to take you to the next level. From arrive and drive and coaching programs to the parts you need, let Trinity Karting Group provide you with customer service and a racing experience second to none. Trinity Karting Group is an official Kart Republic race team, providing full trackside support at all the major USA karting events, including the Scusa Pro Tour, United States Pro Kart Series, Scusa Super Nationals 25, and other events throughout the 2022 season. TKG has in stock Cart Republic, IAMI, MG Novinko tires, and more products for those in Ohio and the Midwest region. Trinity Karting Group has a long history of the sport, a winning pedigree, and we're dedicated to driver development. We take pride in our professional approach and our positive attitude. Let us build a custom race program for you. Give us a call at 513-421-4463 or check us out online at trinitycardinggroup.com. It all started in 1994 when former successful kart driver Albino Perilland decided to move his passion for karting from the track to his small workshop. That's when Perilland was born. Fast forward 20 years and Perilin's passion for the sport led to the company rejoining international competitions as a factory team in WSK and CIK FIA races with the aim of enhancing the research and development process, immediately achieving notable results around Europe, North America and Asia, becoming the CIK FIA Asia Pacific KZ champion in the same year. Perilin USA is North America's source for Perilin products we run a factory team at all of the major Supercarts USA and Rock Cup USA events. The Parallel chassis lineup for 2021 includes the Invader Shifter, the Le Mans Tag Single Speed Chassis for Junior and Senior Classes, and the 28mm Mini Cart for the Cadet Classes. Parallel has been winning races all over the world, and it's on top of the podium in the USA as well with drivers like Kai Sorensen, Mateus Arjuela, and Alessandro de Tullio. 
get on the chassis that's winning. Drive a Parolin. For more information, head to ParolinUSA.com. Thank you for listening to the EKN Radio Network. We now join the show already in progress. You really? revert back yeah. a little bit to a cadet driver when you get up into the 30s, <laughs> mid-30s, upper 30s. As a two-time Masters champion, I don't think Scott Cop makes any mistakes out there. I think Scott Cop is driving the best of his life in, right. his, in his early to late 30s is going to be the best period of his career. And then, he finally figured it out 20 years in. But, but that, that's, a great, that's a great point. Not everybody's going to get it as a child. I know me. Yeah. I was like you where when I started at 10 and 11, I was getting lapped twice in a heat race. I they should just, have kept you practicing for another well, half Well, but we never practiced, right? Well, we would only go key. race because, again, the track's <laughs> not open every day, all day. So, again, it was a different time to where now tracks are open 24 hours, seven days a week. Yeah. You can go in and, and pound out 100 laps a day and get comfortable with the cart itself. I think that is one of the biggest elements in terms of kid, kids and karting, yeah. but also adults as well, too, because – like you said, the older you get, the kind of you know, mem- you know, muscle memory, it's not always there. Um, so is it is it just repetition, or do you think do you think there's a an element in, in certain people that they're just naturally gifted to where they can hop in a cart and be able to go and be fast no matter when they race? There's so many aspects of racing. Um, driving fast is one aspect of racing. <laughs> so there's a lot of people who can drive fast. But managing yeah. a race, managing your tires, understanding what the cart's doing, uh, figuring out how you got to tune the cart, figuring out how to race, you know, and pass and defend and all that stuff. There's so many aspects of it. And it takes everybody a different amount of time. A lot of these kids that I coach in the cadet range, mostly 8 to 12 is most of the kids that I work with. Some of them get it. They just get it. And you don't know why. Yeah. And some of these kids, you tell them the same thing every session, every. and they go, I get it, I get it, and they do the same thing every <laughs> session. And it's just whenever they're ready to make that change. Yeah, um, I, can, I can definitely, I can relate. Like I said, I got lapped twice every heat race. By the time I was 16, it, it came to me to where, okay, I just need to, to focus on what I'm doing rather yeah. than focus on everybody else. Yeah, usually we all, we've seen this for years um, from coaching and working with drivers and stuff, is there's usually a year where there's an off season and somehow it all clicks. I don't know if it's them maturing mentally or whatever it is, but like, you know, they go from being a mid-pack driver and then next season through the winter break, there's no driving, there's nothing, there's no practice happening, but all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're like on it now. You get it's, it. It's like a light bulb. Yeah. It just shines. And Scott Cobb's light bulb turned on when he was 30 years old. But some of these kids, it turns on, you know, eight, nine June, when they hit juniors, sometimes they get a bigger right. cart, they get the full size cart and it all starts to make sense for them. Well, and it's no different than some drivers are not good. Like, they're kind of mid-pack and karting, but you get them in a car, and all of a sudden they come alive. Like, they're, yeah. it's just a different driving style. Yeah. kind of kind of goes to how they feel come more comfortable. Yeah, and vice versa, too. You get a guy who's an extremely good carter, and they get in a car, and they've become so attuned to the go-kart. All of a sudden, you got weight and suspension or a wing, maybe, and they have no idea what any of that stuff yeah. feels like. Um, so sometimes it doesn't always translate. I think when I coach, I try to coach from a Carter's perspective because I think a lot of driver coaches give you the basic stuff of like, this is where you apex, this is where you brake. And it's more of like a general driving perspective. But my experience is all go-karting. I never got the chance to go race cars. 
So I try to give it from a pure go-karting perspective because it is different. There are some key intricacies to go-karting that you don't have to take into consideration in something with suspension or weight. So, uh, And another thing, too, is especially in our sport, chassis are a lot different from one another. Like, especially here in, in Franklin, they work with OTK products. Yeah. But they also obviously have been the Merlin importer for a number of years. Yeah. You've raced on both. You do, you've done OTK. You've done Merlin. It, is, is it some drivers are more conducive to certain brands or just the way their driver driving style is? Is that what it is? Or, I mean, I mean, cause we've seen any number of different carts be fast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, Brandon Lemke could jump in a lot of things, yep. you know, Alex speed raced in every different type of shifter cart there's out there and it's been fast in it. Is it, is it the driver itself themselves that dictate how fast they can be in a specific brand? I think a lot of it comes down to, so when you are a, just a good driver, when you're a good driver. So top 10? Top yeah, 15? when you're a top 10, top 15 driver, yeah. maybe you're more sensitive to that sort of thing because because you're not a complete driver. We talk about complete drivers being somebody who can adapt. They have great racecraft. They can do one fast lap for qualifying. They have all the skills. Okay. But some of these drivers don't have all those skills. They have some of them, which means they can be pretty good. Um, so I think those drivers are more sensitive to cart brand maybe. Um but the reality is I think any of these go-kart brands can be fast. You just have to know how to tune it, and you know, have to know how to drive it. Right. Um, and you get, like, all those guys you talked about, you look at, like, Norberg. He can run the OTK. He ran the Burrell. He won on the Burrell. He ran PCR when he first moved up to seniors. Yeah. He won, he won well, on that, junior, I think. junior, I think. He was racing. Yeah. Did, I don't know if he did I think senior. he started. Maybe I, he did one He year did senior. Okay. I remember him running X30 right. or Leopard or whatever it was. But I think it was Leopard, yeah. He's a, he's a guy who can change chassis brands, and he's going to be at the front. You take any of these really, really good guys, they're going to be fast on whatever you put them on because they can adapt to Brand it. Brand jars of crack. I think even Braden Eves, you yeah, know, he, he's done sure. a lot. Obviously, he's done car stuff. He's up to USF or Indy Pro 2000. Yeah, Eves uh, did. He ran OTK. Van, he ran OTK, the Vandy car. Uh, he's now on a cart, uh, Will Power cart this weekend, yeah. and, he, and he's done that the last couple of years where he's been fast in that. So, yeah, that, that makes sense, but... Um, as a, as a driver coach, do you suggest like a, a brand for somebody? Cause I know you've worked with a number of different drivers outside of the Franklin tent, even, you yeah. know, here in, over in Badger and, and different areas. Like, is, is it a suggestion maybe, Hey, you, you know what? I think OTK fits you. Is that something you can do as a driver coach? I think it's kind of hard to spot that at least for me. It okay. is. Um, but I, I just try to push people to somewhere where they're going to get somebody who can help them with that. I think the most important thing when you're learning and you're coming through and you don't know everything is you get hooked up with somebody like Jamie or whoever it is, whatever team or cart shop it is, and you say, you know, what chassis do you guys run? And then you have somebody who's going to be a guiding light for you there. Um, so I don't necessarily try to say this is going to be better for your driving style or whatever. Um, but I do try to say, you know, get involved with somebody who knows this go-kart. So if you drive an OTK kart, find an OTK guy. Right. You know, that might be me. I don't know who it is, but um, I think that stuff is more important. And, and that, what and I, brand. I, yeah, that's something that Franklin does. I mean, they work 
endless hours working with all the different customers trying to get them situated and more comfortable with what they're doing and yep. again that's it's a hard thing to find because not every area in our country yeah. has a, a, a Franklin Motorsports in next to their you know their home racetrack yeah. or within a couple of hours even yeah. or or somebody like that you know even a driver coach like there's there there are people who claim to be a driver coach yeah. right like I, I don't want to get negative on that but there are people who claim to be a driver coach that are just kind of like it and they don't really know what they're talking sure, about yeah. but they may say think they know what they're talking about yeah it's it's a hard gamble let's let's get in a little bit into into your full-time job your day job yeah of uh helmet painting with octane visual what what was it that that triggered the artistic side of you. I know it wasn't helmet painting that you did originally. What was it that got you into that art side of things? So, I mean, as long as I can remember, I, that's what I've been into has been drawing pictures, doing art. Um, I have, I still have some hand drawings that I did when I was a few years old that my mom has saved. So I was always drawing stuff. And, uh, by the time I got to high school, I was like, I think art something is what I want to do. So, um, I ended up taking a bunch of graphic design class in high school, and then I went to college for graphic design. And uh, yeah, go, you can yeah you can grab beer. Rick, come get a beer. Go ahead. Yeah, keep talking. Um, I went to college for graphic design, and uh, so I knew I wanted that to be my career. It wasn't necessarily in motorsports. It was you know that was going to be my day job. And then you know advertisement, whatever, right? Yeah. So I ended up getting uh, a job at Trek Bicycle which is kind of local to me where I live. And it's just a pretty cool company to work for. And I did graphic design on like bike components and helmets and stuff there. So if you have a Trek bicycle at home and you got some Bontrager components on there, chances are I designed the graphics on those. That's pretty sweet. It's pretty cool. Um, but eventually I was... So on the side, I was painting my own helmet. Right. Because I had gotten a couple helmets painted and I thought, this is pretty cool. I think I could probably do this. So I started experimenting with it a little bit, um, and I was just kind of doing it for fun. And then eventually I got good enough where some other people were like, you want to paint mine? And I was like, sure. And then uh, eventually I got even better at it, and (laughs) a lot of people were coming to me to have me paint their helmet. And it got to a point where I was like, well, I mean, I don't really need to work at Trek anymore, I don't think. I think I could do this full time. Um, And I think as a creative person, that's kind of like the dream scenario where you're not beholden to a company and rigid hours and management and all that stuff. And um, it gives you a lot of freedom. So I was really happy to take that jump. It was kind of scary, but um, I don't, I think it's been eight years, maybe seven or eight years where I've just, that's been my full-time gig is just painting helmets. Yeah. I mean, USBKS 10 years now, 10th year. So it's, it's about about the same same time. time. It's like, like you said, it was a big jump. Like, you had a you had a stable job. Yeah, it wasn't going anywhere. Everybody's buying bikes, especially yeah. during COVID. Everybody was buying yeah. bikes. Yeah. Um, so, what did you have support from the family? Was it was what did you did you need that like somebody to say yes, you can do this? Um, I would say generally, I'm kind of a risk averse person. So you're. I really have to think and consider things. So it took me about a half a year to a year to really build up the courage to say, right. let's just do it. Um, but everybody was pretty supportive. Family and, and friends were all like, yeah, you should do it. You know, I did, I ran the numbers a hundred times in my head and I was like, it adds up. It makes sense. I think I can do it. 
Um, it's just a scary thing to leave that steady job, the paycheck, the insurance, all that stuff, where you know you're going to be bringing home a set amount of money. Well, and now and it's whatever work you do, that's what you get paid for. And again, it's no different from somebody starting something in the karting industry. You know, you, again, we've had our ups and downs in the sport, in the industry, especially, you know, tw- 2008 when everything went down. And then, you know, everybody was wondering when COVID hit, you know, how things were going to transpire. And now we've seen a big uptick because again, it's an outdoor sport and everything. Yeah. So it's been a great growth period over the last two years for a sport. Well, that's certainly, yeah, something that is, you don't quite know, but do you think having the customer base already established, do you think that was one of the major selling points on doing your own business? Yeah. I think one of the keys for me was ha- being at the racetrack. So people saw me all the time. Right. Um, they knew who you were. Yeah, and you as, weren't you weren't somebody overseas, right. Painting your painting these helmets, right? They knew who I was, and I at this point I had been around for fifteen years, right? In this in the sport, so most people knew who I was. Um, yeah, I think that was a big thing, and uh, and and as you get more work, it just naturally builds. People see more and more helmets, and they go, oh, well, you know, your 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 growth is spread wider and wider across the country, and then you get eventually where you're doing stuff all over the country or even international international yeah what um do you let's get into the creative side of things has it been a steady process or have you had kind of some you know roadblocks in or is it good because drivers have a lot of feedback on what they want or what they visualize um it's tough because every single driver is different different yeah Everybody is different in what they want. Everybody's different in how much they, freedom they want to give you. Sometimes I get very, very detailed and specific instructions on what to design and paint. And other times people go, I like the color purple. And that's all I get. So, um, I, but I, that's kind of why I like it because it's, it's a different thing every time. So it's, it's not, a, it's it's a not the same cookie cutter yeah, it's, scenario. It's, it's all custom stuff and it, even the process is custom. Everybody is a little bit different. Um, I haven't had any major roadblocks, fortunately, okay. um, but I mean, there's been a few few mishaps over the years. It's you know, I'm learning every single day, still to this day after doing and, it for and ten you're, years. Yeah, you're. I mean, that's no different from any occupation or even in the sport here in karting. You're always yeah. learning something new or something different. Um, what What do you think? Like, maybe say top three helmets that you painted. Like, what do you think those? Over the last, what, decade that you've been doing this, what do you think are the top three helmets you painted? I would say I've really hit my stride in the past two years or three years maybe when when I've been really happy with what I've been doing. And I would say the one behind you, Scott's helmet, that one's a – I really like that one. Yeah. Um, I really like my own helmets naturally. That helps, yeah. Yeah, I mean that should be number one, right? Those should be number one. (laughs) I do really like my current one, but it's tough because every single helmet I do, I go, ah, we could have tweaked that. Ah, we could have changed that a little bit. Right. I'm so my own static. worst enemy. You're always you're always trying to improve, which is something you do as a driver, right? Yeah, it's kind of the same mindset. It's always you're always chasing perfection, but you're probably never going to get there. But that keeps you going. You know, I'm out there in that last session, and I'm chasing perfection, and I blow the cell tower corner, and I'm cursing myself <laughs> in my helmet, going, "I know I screwed up. And you're I know how to do that." Off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. It's it's fun that it's a constant uh, challenge to keep pushing yourself to get better and better yeah. and better. All right, so what's the third? You got Scott, oh, yours. Um, I'm pretty happy with – so I've been doing Connor Daly's helmets yes. in IndyCar the past couple of years. That's what I was going to bring up. And this year he's asked for some real wild stuff. Yeah. 
And he's got a pretty cool one that he's been wearing a lot lately. It's a Pokemon-themed helmet, which I'm a pretty big fan of. I think that one's pretty cool. So you're on Pokemon Go? Uh, I was on Pokemon Go for a little bit. I remember this. But, a long time ago. Yeah, but I, I grew out of that. I, but after I painted that helmet, I jumped back into Pokemon for a couple weeks because I was really feeling nostalgic. But you have a two-year-old. Does not the two-year-old not watch any of the Pokemon no. stuff? I tried to get him to watch it one of those weeks after I painted that helmet, and he was like, no, da-da, no, da-da, no. not into it. He wants race cars, right? He He's wants race cars all about all race day. cars. So, that, so that's that's an interesting point. What What is your uh, Flint uh, – um, sorry. Um, Fletcher. Fletcher, yes. What What is he into right now? Like, what is he watching? What is – He like, watches really – You've taken him to the racetrack, so he, Yeah, a couple times he's it. been to the track. What, what is he into? Um, he is really into race cars. Okay. But he has a, he doesn't like noise too much. Ah. Gets a little scared around noise. So that's kind of a tough, kind of a so tough situation. So something he'll grow into. Yeah, he might get used to that. He might eventually <laughs> learn to like it. But um, sometimes in the morning we get up and we go downstairs and he's like, da-da, turn race cars on, on the TV. Ah. Like he wants to watch race cars, which is cool. I think that's fun. Yeah. Before we had him... I told my wife, I was like, I don't want him to be super... I don't want to push race cars no. on him. But it's all I watch. It's all I know. So naturally, he's drawn to it a little bit. But his Hot Wheels cars are his favorite thing in the world. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he likes to jump on my racing simulator <laughs> and put my headphones on and steer the <laughs> wheel around. And what I'll do is I'll put on a YouTube video of, like, some GoPro footage so he feels like he's driving. There you go. He's really into that. So, yeah, it's 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 uh, a simulation, but not yeah. necessarily because he's not really He's driving. not doing anything. Yeah. He's watching he's, a video of me driving. It. So, yeah. again, it, it's almost like that natural ability that we were talking about. Like, maybe he'll have something, a natural feel for. I got to say, from a coaching perspective, he's got a lot of hand movement that we're really going to have to <laughs> sort out because he's just sawing on the wheel the whole time. Well, but, I mean, that's 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 typical for a two-year-old yeah. to be just yeah, be yeah. all over the place even even big wheels like down up and down the street or driveway yeah, he's kind of a menace when you get him on his little bike or his little <laughs> scooter or whatever it is that's awesome that's good so um so let's talk about kind of current times in in terms of your racing right now you race road america it was it was kind of the comeback i participated at you, road well you did you did but you raced there last year you had some issues and you're like you know what was it was it just the fact that like you know what, I got to be able to prove to myself that I can still do it. Is that kind of the mentality? Or is it is it a fun factor thing of you just want to be behind the wheel? It kills me to sit at home and watch Race Hero. Yeah. I see it and I go, I can beat these guys. I can run with these guys. I wish I was out there. And even when I'm coaching at the regional yeah. stuff, I, I all weekend I'm going, I wish I was out there. Um, so it's just the internal fire, the yeah, flame that it is, is still burning. Yeah, and I raced Road America, and it did not go great. And I was like, man, I wasn't feeling good all weekend. I was feeling kind of sick, so it was kind of a miserable weekend. People kept asking me, are you at least having fun? And I was like, I'm having no fun at all. <laughs> and so I was not Even feeling good. Even had Tommy Gunn on the wrenches. I know. I felt really bad. And that's bad. a fun weekend with Tommy Gunn's around, right? Yeah, it was fun. Uh, and I stayed at his house, so it was, it was, it was fun. But I... <laughs> I felt really bad for right. him to be associated with me out there running in the mid to backpack. But so I did Road America because, like we talked about in the beginning, you dip your toes back into the national scene, and that's a local track for me. Yeah. But ever since they repaved it, I couldn't really get a hold on it. 
Gotcha. And uh, I still couldn't get a hold on it that weekend. We tried all kinds of stuff, and I just couldn't figure it out. So I wanted to do one more, and I wanted to do it because it's at Newcastle, and I know Newcastle pretty well. So I feel like... Especially was, this layout. This layout, I know. <laughs> it's crazy. A lot of people are like, well, I've never run this layout. And <laughs> Who I'm like, hasn't what? run this layout? This is the only layout I've run. <laughs> yeah, this is the only one I know. So... Um, yeah, with this layout at this track, I was like, I need to do one more before our second kid comes next yes. month yep. um, to Which really make sure. What's the due date? What's the due date? October 28th is the due date. Oh, so Vegas is out then for you. Absolutely, <laughs> Vegas is out. All the fun is going to be out. All the fun is gone. Yeah. But, okay, so, yeah, so I decided, I was like, I think I need to do this one last one just to see, to make sure I'm not completely hopeless and I haven't totally forgotten what I'm doing. We pause for this quick commercial break. Stay tuned for more here on the EKN Radio Network. Need race fuel or oil? Hyperfuels is an authorized distributor for several of the brands that are spec fluids in American karting, including Elf and Aspen Sport. They also stock and ship methanol. Hyperfuels has a web store that can take your orders 24-7, and they ship UPS. That's right, Hyperfuels can ship fuel and oil right to your door. Whether you need Elf Racing Fuels or Elf ATX 909 Oil or Aspen Sport 98 Octane Fuel for Scusa Competition, they have it in stock. When you need it now, go to hyperfuels.com. You can buy all the latest and greatest products on the market. But when you're karting to win, it boils down to one thing. You, the driver. Gain the knowledge and abilities by investing in yourself at the Allen Rudolph Racing Academy. And you'll find those extra tenths of a second you need to put yourself on the podium. The school was established by Supercarts USA Hall of Fame driver Allen Rudolph with decades of victories and championships in multiple forms of the sport, including other disciplines of racing. Allen Rudolph Racing Academy, located at the Speed Sports Racing Park in the metropolitan Houston area, is designed to teach driving skills at all levels. The instructors of the academy have decades of racing experience and educating drivers of all ages. Classes at the academy will teach the concepts and skills needed both behind the wheel and off the track. From the beginning kart racing experience and intro to karting courses, to their advanced one-day and two-day courses and karting clinics, the Allen Rudolph Racing Academy can improve the skills of any driver. For more information on the specific programs that the Allen Rudolph Racing Academy can provide for you, head to speedsports.com and click on the Racing Academy page. Be sure to follow the Academy on social media by searching for Allen Rudolph Racing Academy. Thank you for listening to the EKN Radio Network. We now join the show already in progress. Because when you just ride around in like 20th, 30th or whatever, after you've been doing it for 20-some years, you're like, am I, just, am I just lost? Do I not know what I'm doing? So I had to confirm that this weekend. That's my goal is to prove that I still kind of know what I'm doing. Well, now Badger Kart Club has a pretty good following at club races, especially in the KA program. Yeah. Do you think that would have been something you, you could have done because there's good drivers that are there? Or do you just felt like, you know what, USPKS – it's every it's 
60 drivers, yeah. AKA senior, this is where I have to prove it to myself. I would say racing here is for myself. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I, it was in the plan to run some club races, right. but I just don't have time to do it. Gotcha. So yeah, I, I wanted to run some club because they do have some, some strong drivers at the club there. Um, but also I have so many laps at Badger that it would kind of be a lose-lose situation. If I don't win the club race there, I'm going to feel pretty bad. A, but yeah. if I do win, I'm yeah. not going to I'm going to feel empty about that. So, I wanted to I want no offense to the club races adjustment, but I wanted to make Challenge. sure Yeah. I want to I you know, I I fancy myself some sort of national level driver right. or I did back in the day. Well, I mean, you, you you you've won here. You've won at USPKS. It was it was a great what twenty was it eighteen? Twenty eighteen was yeah. the year. Was the good year? Yeah, the last good year. Yeah, um, but yeah, it it you know I see the young kids racing and I and everybody talks about how great all these kids are and they're amazing, super good drivers. But I in my heart I'm still fifteen years old. You're the Kevin Harvick right now. That's exactly it. Yeah. I feel like a young man in my head. There you go. Physically, I don't feel like a young man out there. Right. I'm getting woofed. But But again, we'll it, see. it's that it's it's something that you've grown into. Like yeah. you've you've you you started low. Again, like you said, you started at just doing practice days. Like that's all you did. And then you've grown into a, a national competitor and been again you were one of the few lcq races ever at the super nationals that we actually enjoyed and was one of the most amazing races ever to yeah. see you go from near, what last to, to uh, third i think 31st to sixth okay so it was i sixth. got the last, last transfer okay spot. last transfer spot yeah and the and the biggest problem i have is i don't have that audio recorded because i know, I know rob howden was going crazy rob talks about it he's like yes. that was an amazing we sh- that was an amazing call we need- i wish we had the audio but it is. yeah that was a yeah, it's kind of come full circle. I'm now at the point where I'm practicing for half the year to do this one race because that's how long it takes to knock all that rust off. And I still do, I still feel rusty out there. Yesterday, right. um, I was out there, and I was racing with Aiden Rudolph, who yeah. must be half my age. Uh, yeah, he's 16. Yeah, and he... Or 15. Sorry, so 15. I pa- he's less than half my yeah. age at this point. So I passed him, and I immediately drove off the track on the exit. And he drove by me and put his hand up, like, what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I know, I know, I know. And in the scale line, I was like, dude, I'm sorry. I'm just old and rusty, and I didn't mean to screw all the laps up. And he, and he laughed, and he was like, oh, it's okay, no problem. Well, it but, doesn't help that his dad's a driver coach, and now actually yeah. he's helping out at uh, not to plug another driver or uh, company, but Alan Rudolph Racing Academy. He's helping yeah. coach some of the classes there right. for the beginners. So he understands some of the stupidity that happens with some newbies. Yeah. yeah and you don't want to be a noob, right? No, I don't want to be a noob. <laughs> but I feel a little bit like a noob. But So what is the perfect timetable to shake off rust? I mean, because I haven't raced in a year, and I'm coming back here in two weeks for my first time racing in a year. I Like, is it... Is, does it Prepare depend? yourself for yeah. disappointment. Well, at least I'm not racing Rob Howden, so at least I won't lose to him. <laughs> um, what you know? What what's generally like? Have have you worked with drivers that have like come back to the sport, or maybe had some time off and then came back? Um, not really. I don't. So think. more new people. Yeah, the only driver that I've been working with Scott Cop. <laughs> no. <laughs> Scott Cobb at this point is more experienced than I am. All right, there you go. The only driver I've been working with that's coming back is me. 
Okay. But I am looking at data. I'm looking at nice. video. I'm comparing to some of these guys who race all the time, and I'm going, yeah, I'm making mistakes. Yeah. I'm screwing this up. I know I'm doing it. You just it, gotta. It's put a repetitive it thing. It's just not having yeah. that repetitive feeling. And I think at this point, yeah. you know, you and I have been driving long enough where there's some muscle memory where you're gonna go out there and you're immediately gonna feel pretty comfortable. Yeah. But that last half a second that you got to find is like... And it's a lot. It's exhausting to find. <laughs> I can relate to that, yeah. especially when I come back here in two weeks. So make sure you measure up where I am because it'll probably be a half second off yeah. the top guy. I'll spot you a half second for your Perfect. experience. I don't even know the track layout we're going to do here, but I'm going to put a half second on there. Yeah. Um, I forgot where I was going to go <laughs> next because we were talking about that. Um, let's get it. Yeah. Let's get into some current topics. Sure. Um we talked about licensing a little bit, so I think we've kind of covered that a little bit more. Cow speed. Let's let's talk about cow speed. I don't think you ever got to race there, did you? No, I did not. It, it's closing. Do you think what what? It's it's kind of frustrating because we have some really good facilities, especially here on the eastern side of yeah. of the country, but on the western side, it's kind of limited. Um. You know what? Do you, have you seen the the K one circuit? What What are your thoughts on the K one? Is that circuit the new there? one in yeah. California? Yeah, yeah. It looks amazing. Um, I haven't looked at it too much, but I saw initial like layout pictures or what they were going to do and stuff, and it looks pretty nice. Um, it just it's kind of frustrating to see a facility like that because NASCAR owns it. There's obviously some situations regarding they're probably going to sell off land and stuff like that. Hopefully, you know, the, the people at CalSpeed are able to find another place to go to. Yeah. But, you know, what what would happen if, say, Badger were to close? What would happen to, like, the region of Wisconsin, especially around the Milwaukee area, if that racetrack were to close? It would be pretty tough, I think, because you don't have um, – we have, like, Road America, but it's not open as much as Badger is. It doesn't get as big a turnout at the club races. Um, Shano is basically never used and it's too far north for most people the problem is our country is so big I get a kick out of it sometimes like these guys I talk to guys in the UK or Europe or whatever and they're like oh I had to drive three hours to get to this track it's on the other end of the country I'm like oh, three hours <laughs> like three hours for me would get me to Norway right and so I would say Norway Badger and Road America are the three closest tracks to me probably even MRP it's, a, it's MRP is like four, four for but me it's still kind of yeah close. it's not a bad I mean, uh, that's where distance. a lot of Midwest and route races used to be. Even yeah. USPKS was there for, for some time as well, too. But Yeah. It always sucks when a track closes. Um, but, yeah, like, the country is so big, and you have these, these uh, metropolitan areas where you have to draw from. And there's only so many people to draw from, and there's only so many tracks that can sustain that sort of thing over time. And that's exactly it. Like, L.A. is one of the biggest cities, metropolitan areas in yeah. the country. And yet we're limited on the amount of racetracks there, mainly because real estate there is just insane. Like, yeah. You could buy Shano right now for what a house costs in, in say, Rancho Cucamonga or, yeah. or any of the out you know yeah. areas around the Los Angeles area. So that's, that's kind of a difficult um, situation. Um, I forgot where I was going to go next. Um, <laughs> I, sh I knew I should have wrote, wrote these down. I should have yeah. wrote these down um, because you said something and I was, I was going to go to it. Now I can't remember what it was. Um, what super nationals 25. Obviously we talked about, you can't go. Obviously your second child is going to be coming. Do you, 
are you excited about the growth that they're having for this event? Do you think that's something that obviously Formula One's coming there next year? Is Do you think there's still a growth there for the Super Nationals uh, in terms of where we're going with that? Yeah. Ow. Oh, that hurt. Ow. Um, Super Nats is, it's amazing and it's always amazing and it's pretty cool that they can keep growing it. And I think that's because the event is so cool. Um, part of it is like entries breed entries with any racing series and Super Nats has the most, the best. So they're going to get more and more and more. And it's such a cool experience to be there. You know, it's like a vacation for us go-karters. You get to go for a week in Vegas. You're right there by the hotel. Um, it's just so fun. It's so cool to wake up and hear go-karts running and look out your window and see them driving around. It's so fun. Um, and I really wish I could go back. I'm not at the level I need to be to race that race, but, um, yeah, in my head, I still would love to go back and try to race that one again, maybe someday, but I really do love Supernats. And I always tell drivers, like I'm coaching, once they feel like they're ready, once we're doing some regional and national level stuff, Go to Supernats. Even if you don't make the final, even if you're spending a bunch of money, you will learn more at racing Supernats one week than you will in a full season of national racing because the level is just so high. So it's an educational experience because for a lot so. of people, it's just a fun weekend. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of people go there to learn stuff too, just to watch and figure out how these big teams are, are operating. You get some factory okay. support there. Um, I think being in that environment, if you're looking to be a competitive go-kart racer, you will just sponge up a bunch of information and you'll if you're racing you will be forced to get better because if you don't you're going to be in the barriers you're going to not be in the final like it forces you to get better i think it's an important event just from that perspective well that's a good that's good uh advice for rob howden hopefully who will be listening to this podcast who will be making his first start at super nationals you would think is it different watching like did you ever go to watch before you went there not before I raced okay. it. The first time I went was to race, but okay. I have been there a few years just watching and or working, hanging out, working. Where that's why I said quotations, Co driver working. coaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, emptying beer coolers <laughs> and taking up hotel room space. Taking, getting some in and out orders. Yeah, yeah. Playing blackjack, that kind of thing. <laughs> that's kind of my vibe. It's Vegas, but anyway. But do you learn something by even just watching? Yeah, because well, I think. If you're observant and you're watching the racing okay. and seeing what these guys, you're you're watching KZ world class drivers there. Right. Like if you're you're getting a free education if you're or world you're champions like Lorenzo Travisanato. Yeah. You know, it's I a mean, free education. I always tell the guys I'm coaching, I'm like, do you guys watch F1 or any other motorsport? Because there's free driving clinics going on every weekend, um, and I think Supernats is kind of the same way. Like you okay. go there. Watch how so-and-so manages the race. Watch where they make their overtakes, how clean it is. Watch their hands, do all this stuff. I think from um, an observer's standpoint, you can learn a lot just being there and watching. And then, obviously, if you're in the pits or you know somebody and, and you can get up close and personal and learn what they're doing to tune the go-kart or whatever it is, um, you can learn more on that front, too. Let's, since we're at USBKS, let's talk a little about the series. Tenth year, you were part of it for a very long time. Yeah, since it started. Um, are you happy with the direction the series is going? Because they extended to four races this year. Now they're going to five. Do you think that's a good move for the program? Um, I think that stuff kind of ebbs and flows based on the, the economy and the climate and everything that's going on. Um, some years it's better to have four. Some years it's better to have five. Um, or three so, like we used to. Or three. I, you know, I, I'm not super concerned either way. Okay. Um, but like we said, I do have a little bit – 
of not influence, but I get to voice my opinion to the guy who kind of manages the series a little bit. So, um, that helps. I yeah. mean, I, t- I talk in his ear all the time and he never listens to me. He doesn't so maybe, always listen to me either. All right. Well, at least it's common. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, 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 the series has been pretty great. I think they've done a really good job of starting out as a, as nobody really knew what the series was going to be. It's a national series. What it, you know, is the competition going to show up? Are we going to get the entries? You know, but they've done a really good job, and I think a lot of that comes down to Mark Coates just, like, really loves go-kart racing, and he really cares about making a good series. Um, and obviously, that, yeah, that's the whole reason it started. Yeah, that's why he started the series, and I think he still cares about it. Even though, like, even though Colton's not racing anymore, his, his nephew's not racing anymore, he still really cares about the series. He cares about people having a good time, and he loves go-karting. And obviously, in anything that you do, any venture you do, if you love it, you're going to make it better just right. for the sake of making it better. So um, I think they've done a good job. I think, yeah, the event number, three to five is a good number um, anywhere in there. I think three is too little, to be honest. Four or five is good. Um, it'll just be a matter of, you know, I think they said the last one was going to be on October next year, which, you know, at this time of the year, it's, you struggle sometimes with kids in school and stuff like that. Right. But, um yeah, I guess we'll just have to see, but I think they've done a good job promoting it, growing it, and running a nice professional series that still feels like, uh, like kind of like a fr- family-friendly. Well, that that was going to be my next question because you were there at the beginning. Do you think it feels a little different now than what it used to be? Is it just mainly because of the size of the program, or you know, is is what what do you see has changed? Over the 10 years. I think the good part is that I don't think a lot has changed in the vibe of the series. I still, okay. it feels like, um, obviously it's, it's grown. We have way more entries and uh, it feels like, it feels like a Midwest run series is how it feels where you have that like friendly down home vibe a little bit where everybody here is here to have fun. <laughs> but at the same time, it's professional enough where you know that this is a serious, you know, people are spending a lot of money to be here and race and compete against the best drivers in the country. Um, and I think it's a good contrast. I've run a lot of Pro Tour and, Sc- and Scusa stuff too. And Scusa feels a little bit more intense. It seems a little bit more, um, I don't want to say serious, but intense, I guess I would say. Intense is a good word. Do you think that's mainly based on the name? It might be because the competition level is the same. It's the same guys mostly who are running both series at I this mean, point. I Nor- mean, Norberg's winning both. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, <laughs> sa- it's the same drivers. So it's it's not a matter of the drivers. and. It, it's not. It's absolutely not a knock on Scooza or anything, right. you know. It's just a little bit different vibe. Um, sometimes I think that USPKS could be a little bit more professional on some things, and sometimes I think Scooza could be a little bit more chill on some things. But um, a, 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 they're pretty similar. A good balance. You, yeah. You always have to have that, no matter, like, customers that you deal with. You have to have a good balance of, you know, what they want and what you can do. Yeah. And that's kind of the feel with USPKS, Supercar USA. Yeah, I don't, I don't think either one is better or worse for right. it. I think it's just a slightly different vibe. And it could be, you know, a cultural thing. Scusa's West Coast. This is Midwest, East Coast based. So it could just be, you know, it could be that. Again, pre- preconceived notions and, and yeah. mindsets. So yeah. it's a little different. What? Speaking of Scusa Pro Tour, there was the one, I think it was Grand Junction, wasn't it? That was probably your best Pro Tour race that you had? Um, it was tied for my best pro okay, tour. Okay, tied. Well, it might be my best one. So I've, well, actually, I won Summer Nats at Shawano the one time. That's right. We forget I, about that one because it was, was at Shawano. Was that 2010? Yeah. Yeah, I see, so. I wasn't at that race. That oh, was yeah. the one pro, well, aside from from Winter Nationals this year, those were the two 
pro tour races that I had never been to. Yeah. So I didn't get to see you win that one, but I remember Grand Junction like like crazy. Yeah, I won that one. Grand Junction, I was second. I thought it was I, was it second, third. Yeah, it was second. Okay. Um, it was second. Nicastro won, and I was second. And I Andre Nicastro. Who he, will probably never race Masters, but yeah, he started like thirtieth or something he's a, too. Yeah, like beast mode. If you had to put like a, uh, a Mount Rushmore of drivers in karting, Quality. who would that be? A Mount Rushmore of drivers. It's very difficult to compare all the different eras. Well, and I would say that the real could, legends were before my time. But right now, if I had to pick a few drivers, well, any, any era really, like who yeah. would you put? Like, I mean, you could put Lake Speed or, or Lynn or whoever. You could put all those guys on there, huh? Um, you could put all those guys on there. Yeah. Um, Lake Speed is a real legend. Yeah, real legend. Uh, I mean, it's tough because you get a lot of guys who are really super good that you're racing with, but you race with them for three years and then they move to cars or they do okay. something else. Um, Nicastro, very quality driver. Obviously, I raced against him for quite a few years. Right. Um, I was never close to him really, except for that one time at Grand Junction. Right. And then, and then he has one of the most amazing finishes at the Super Nationals compared to your LCQ yeah, result, yeah. but. That uh, him and David Sarah going down to the yeah, wire. Yeah, yeah. That was probably one of the more memorable finishes at the Super Nationals. Yeah. I, it's hard for me to pick a Mount Rushmore because in my head, I'm competing against these guys, some of these guys still. So it's hard for me to say. <sighs> okay. Let's, let's and my go. My ego is getting in the uh, way of it. Well, I mean, you're, 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 not on the, you're, so you're not on the Mount Rushmore. My heroes growing up racing there, go-karts. There we go. Okay. Um, Jamie Siraki, 100%. Gotcha. Jamie taught me every single thing I know about driving, basically. Yeah. Um, pro Tour winner. Pro Tour winner. <laughs> fellow Pro Tour winner, Jamie hey, there you Siraki. Go. Yeah. Um, and then when I was racing like Midwest Sprint Series and WKA and Yamaha and stuff, you had like Brandon Adkins, yep. Tony Jump, Tim Getch, guys like that. Corey Mar- Reeves. Guys. Corey Reeves. Corey Reeves was uh, huge when I was running Yamaha. And um, HPV. And HPV. I think I learned a lot from those guys. Kevin Nelson. Yeah. I remember standing on the fence at Dowsman watching like a national race or something, and it was those four guys lined up, and they go through turn one, and it, their hands don't even move. Yeah. And I go, oh, wow. They're so smooth. <laughs> and then I go, that's what I got to do. That's what I got to do. So I would say those guys were formative for yeah. me, learning from them and just watching them. Um. We pause for this quick commercial break. Stay tuned for more here on the EKN Radio Network. Ready to step up your game? Joining the Rawlison Performance Group is the obvious choice to take your racing to the next level. Industry-leading driver development is provided by our staff of multi-time national champions, Super Nationals winners, and Team USA members. And at the same time, RPG continues to be a national-level powerhouse race team. Our goal is to help you raise your game and win races. We work with all age groups and are focused on developing those cadet and junior drivers who are ready to take the next step in their racing program. Rawlison Performance Group has set a new standard with our in-house engine program, AVP Engines, headed by Alex Vincent. AVP has become the benchmark in IAMI competition. We have the largest OTK inventory that follows our race team, providing trackside parts at all the major events in North America. RPG also offers multilingual support with French, Spanish, and Portuguese-speaking staff. 
you want to fight for championships or want to improve your skills and your chances to win, the answer is to call RPG at 503-260-4514. The Rawls Performance Group. We race to win. The new face of competitive karting in the Pacific Northwest region is Race Lab. The full-service karting operation is located at the state-of-the-art Kartplex facility in Oliver, British Columbia, Canada, providing everything you need to hit the track or put yourself in a successful driver development program. Race Lab is the official North American distributor for the TB Kart chassis brand, providing the full range of models from Kid Kart to Shifter Kart. Villanova Racing Karts is their flagship product available only through Race Lab. The brand carries the name of Formula One champion and Indianapolis 500 winner Jacques Villeneuve with each model produced by TV Kart. Kartplex, the home of Race Lab, is situated on the grounds of the Area 27 Motorsports Park. From full arrive and drive TV Kart rentals to leagues and competition karting, the facility provides a new home to developing the future stars of motorsports, all beginning at Kartplex with Race Lab. Follow Race Lab on social media on Facebook and Instagram or load up their website at www.theracelab.ca to learn more about TB Kart and Villeneuve Racing Karts. Race Lab. Race with us, win with us. Thank you for listening to the EKN Radio Network. We now join the show already in progress. So... So those guys, I think you got to put Ryan Norberg on the list of all-time great that, American cars. And, and I was gonna kind of get into that a little bit because when I first started with the website, like Gary Carlton, yeah, was just the most amazing shifter cart driver. We in were the talking world. about me and somebody were talking about Gary yesterday about how he went to Europe and he was like, I remember reading Cart Sport magazine or whatever and I being like, no. <laughs> I, a great magazine. No, I loved it. I loved it. And I remember seeing him and be like, wow, he's like legit contending over in right. Europe where yeah. we don't normally contend. No. So that that was pretty cool as like a young American Carter to see that and be like, oh, like there's room, like you can do it. So do you think Ryan's Ryan's at that level of Gary Carlton? It's tough because he's got to go he's got to go over there so and that, run. So that's the measuring stick. Yeah, I think so. I think Europe is going to be the measuring stick for a while yet. Do you think if he wins Supernats this year, if there's a lot of international drivers, do you think that'll help? Elevate your position with him. He, I, to be honest, if Ryan went over to Europe and he put in a good effort over there and had the proper support, I'm, he'd be fine. Okay. It's a it's a matter of him just doing it. Doing it. I yeah. know he can do it. Yeah. But um, no, if he wins Supernats, it's not going to really change my opinion of no? him. He's, okay. In my opinion, he doesn't need to win Supernats to impress me. Okay. Well, I mean, we've never had, especially in that category, a back to back winner. Really? Ever? Huh. I think about that. it because I, if I recall, one I don't of the usually see the podium in X30 Pro at Supernats, so I don't know. <laughs> you're who's on up the there. scale line. Yeah, you're watching I'm, Rob interview I'm the winner. I'm listening to it from you're the scale line. Yeah, you're like, what the hell did I do? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, if I recall, I think Joel Miller was the first. Uh, no, it was Schechter that was the first tag winner in I want to say '04, and I don't think we've had a back-to-back winner in the tag senior slash X30. Hmm category ever at the super nationals so hmm. if he were to do it it would be that would be pretty first. big then yeah 
So that and that's why I asked, you know, because again, I don't think he's ever going to race in Europe. I think he's he's never going to do it because it's because especially the way European racing is right now, it's all fourteen year olds. Yeah, and he's what, 23, 24? Yeah. I don't want to say Ryan's old, but he's but at the point now where he's not fourteen. He's like where the other you drivers. were, you know, not so long ago, yeah. right? Where yeah. you were the guy that was working a day job, coming to race carts on the weekend. Where but. He's a little different because he doesn't quite have a regular day job. His day job is coaching and yeah. being at the racetrack. Right. Yeah. You s- at naturally, as you get older, you can't help it. You're going to start to get focused on other stuff because you have to. That's that's what happens when you but get older. He ha- I don't think he has. I think he's still focused on because he's got all the YouTubes. Yeah. I, do you that's think- why he's still winning races. And okay. So do you think if you came, if you were Ryan's age right now, do you think that? It would have been easier to to be competitive at this level because of all of the the data, the the videos, and everything like that. Do you think that's something that would have helped you even further than where you were when you were trying to come up through the sport? Well, for sure, all that stuff would be helpful. But I was racing at this level at Ryan's age. It right. was only. It was only eight years ago. I mean, but it's a decade ago. I mean, a lot's I know, changed. I know, I, I mean, know. And there was no USPKS. We certainly have <laughs> been doing a lot more data and video lately, right. like in the past few years. It's gotten a lot more powerful, a lot more useful. We've learned how to interpret it and use it a little bit better. So I think if we had that, because I don't remember doing a lot of data when I was running. So 2016 was the last time I ran X30 Pro, full, like full-time, full season, SCUSA and Listen, USPKS. Yep. And I don't remember doing that much data and video. Okay. But maybe I should have because I was not winning a lot of races. I was I was good, but I wasn't winning. But maybe that is the last step I needed. But like you said, you look back, you're like, yeah, maybe I could have improved yeah. because of I could have watched what I've done because, again, memory muscle, it does, it's not always there yeah. as you get older. And, and also, you're making mistakes that you might not realize because – Again, it's again a track like here. You can't see cell tower from right. the pit lane, so you right. have no idea a mechanic or your father or anybody who's trying to help you can't see yeah. what's going on in that corner. And that shows up quite easily on the data if you screw up the cell tower corner. Go look at my data on the last <laughs> session. Yeah, screwed it up pretty bad. I love how that came full circle. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I would say if I, you know, if I had more access to. I had access to it. If I would have used, used it a little it. bit more, okay. I would have. So I would have. I could have. Okay, been a so better. so you think Gary Carlson, Ryan Norberg, it goes in streaks too. Like Ryan's been dominant for some years now, but yeah. we had Lemke's been dominant before. He's had streaks where he was number one EK and driver for yeah. a long time. Brandon Jars a crack. Jars a crack too, yeah. and you know. Well, let let me put it this way: if you had to pick. One driver to be your teammate for a full season, who would that driver be? Well, so I've worked with Lemke before. Pretty good buds with them at this point. Right. Well, you did and a Robopong together, right? We did Robopong together, and I have seen his data, and I just I just can't do it. So whatever he's doing, I can't do it. Um, I've wrenched for him, and I've given him some horrible setups on accident. So at Road America, quick story. So you told him what not to do. At Road America... When I was racing at Road America, the pre- like 2020 or whenever it was, when I sucked, uh, I was also coaching and tuning for Lemke. Yes. So the one night, we were like, I think it's going to rain tomorrow. We should test and see if we can widen the front out all the way without hitting the side pod to make sure. Because we might have to cut the side pod bar or something. 
So on the one side, we widen the, the, the front out all the way on one side to test it. And we go, oh, it'll be fine. And we never changed it back. Yeah. <laughs> so one side was full wide and the other was normal. And he went out there and went purple and qualified on pole or whatever it was. And then I realized, oh, it doesn't matter what you do. He's going to drive around it. That's why he's a complete driver. He can adapt and do all that stuff. So, but I yeah, like that. Yeah. If my go-kart's perfect and his is screwed up like 80%, that. 80%, yeah, 70%. And, and he's still going to go faster than me. Yeah. I don't need, the data's not going to do nothing for me at that oh point. Oh, my gosh. I would like to have Ryan as a teammate just to see the data. I just want right. to see what's going on over there. So just, it, I, I think everybody in the paddock is, is oh, thinking yeah. the same way. Yeah. And, and, and Gary, you know, Gary said it to us and, and a couple of people. Like, he just, he, he's consistent. And that's something we keep going and back to. And I think to. that is where his age comes into play. You get to a point where, like, you're just – he's a machine at this point. Machine. He's so well-tuned at driving that he can just click off lap after lap after lap. And he's 23. He has 10 years of brains on some of these kids where he knows how to manage a race. So if somebody does him dirty, he's like, I'll get that back later. No yeah. problem. I'll, I'll back out of it now, and I'll get back later. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's what I'm relying on heavily at this point <laughs> in my career is I hope I have more brains than the guys around me because I don't have the speed or the consistency anymore. Well, and, and again, it goes back to racecraft. Again, something you're, you're teaching with course of sport, you know, trying yeah. to teach them not only how to go fast, but how to, how to race as well, too. Because, again, it's two totally different things. Yeah. You know, being quick is one thing, but being able to race and being able to understand what position or where you need to make the move is another thing. Yeah, I've had a lot of experience qualifying really badly because I'm a horrible qualifier. So fortunately for me, I've had to work my way through a lot of fields, <laughs> and I lean pretty heavily on that these days, yep. um, knowing how to make the overtake, lose as little time as possible. That was one thing when I did these last couple national one-offs. I, I felt very good about my racecraft. I was like, I didn't make any mistakes passing out there. I was half a second off the pace, but I beat a lot of guys who were faster than me just because I knew where to stay out of trouble and where to go yep. for it. So I think, you know, like Ryan, you get to an age at some point where you're going to start to, the racecraft is going to be outweighing, you know, whatever other deficiencies you have. Yeah, and I, I don't think he has any deficiencies right no. now. So no, we'll, I would not we'll have call to wait and see on yeah. that. But um, uh, so so pred any predictions for Supernats? Do you have, do you think Norberg's going to come through or do you think there's going to be somebody else that might pop up? I can't see any reason why Norberg would not be at the front of a prediction list. I haven't looked at the entries. Do you think entries. it depends on the track design? Do you think if we go back to what we've had before, do you think it's something that's going to be easier for him to defend as a, as a former race winner? Or do you think if they some, throw something new that he might still have to, to fight his way forward, kind of like how he did last year? The guys who are winning Supernats are the guys yeah. they're the complete guys yeah. so if you throw something new at them i don't think it's going to matter they're going to adapt and ryan's got the resources too he's got a huge great team where he's got lots of great data he's got some dedicated support so i mean the rpg machine is pretty tough to beat um and i would say that no matter what they do they're going to figure that out pretty quickly um but i haven't looked at the entry list i don't know who else is racing yeah it's it's probably going to get sold or at least close to the 88 that they're that they're holding yeah. so it, it'll be a lot of drivers and and thankfully this year we're going to have international drivers one last topic shifter cart racing have you ever done any shifter cart racing i've never done shifter cart racing sometimes i look at like jamie always has like a rock shifter sitting in the shop and well, I know, he's a former shifter cart driver he ran icc a lot of times him and troy hotman yeah uh 
I sometimes see that sitting in the shop, and I go, God, it'd be fun for to go for a rip on that thing. I don't know how many laps I'd be able to complete before I just completely <laughs> fell out of the seat, but um, it never really appealed to me, to be honest. Okay. I always, and I don't know if it would suit my driving style so much. Um, Do you think because you came up through the the single speed, especially it's always the, been low the horsepower, Yamaha, yeah, low speed, horsepower, exactly. yeah, momentum driving, and I mean, I understand shifter to some point you have to do that too, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just never, I've always liked ICA. I liked KF. Okay. That stuff, that's what appeals to me. And I don't know why. Maybe I'm wrong for thinking that way. I know some people are die hard. Like KZ is the real deal and anything else is boring. But for me, it's just never really, I never really had the itch to do it. Okay. I, I lied. I got one more because you said it. Okay. The okay platform. Yeah, and now they they're coming out with the OKN, trying to get yeah. club drivers. Do you think that that platform is ever something that's going to work here in the United States? I really wish it would, because it would just be cool to be on some sort of parity with Europe a little bit. I don't know if I don't know why I feel that way, but growing up watching karting, being a lover of this sport, right? We know that Europe is where it's where it all happens. That's, that's where, where you have to go. The World Championships. It's are. like if you want to be a model, go to Paris. Right. Exactly. Not, and, I mean, we're not models, but you know, well, speak it's, for yourself. It's similar. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I would say. So when they announced that OKN thing, I thought that was pretty interesting, and it yeah. might it would be a cool thing to try out. But every time that Europe introduces some engine class, it just never can take off here. Yeah. It has to be at the right price point. It has to be something that's because we we like cheap, reliable, but also fast. We're hard to please over here. But well. Yeah, that's a given. The OKN thing seems like it would be perfect for us. But also, X30 is pretty strong. Right. You know, and are you going to ask 30, 40 guys to switch a whole engine package and become the top tier class? From a driver's perspective, it would be really cool to have something faster and a little bit more uh, purebred engine. But, I mean, the X30 is a good engine package, and it provides good racing, and it's good parity, and, I, you know, it's going to be hard to get away from that at this point. Well, do you think that... We could ever get the world championships uh, in the United States. I think we have facilities that are capable of hosting it. And but do you think the engine platform thing is is a selling point? Like FIA is like, well, they don't even run what we have. Why would we go there? I don't know because we tried this with KF. They ran KF here in yeah. WSK North America or and whatever that, they called yeah, it. That, so it was kind of a world event that yeah. they had there in New Jersey a couple of years ago, but it wasn't the world championships because obviously right now with Felipe Massa, they're trying to get it to Brazil, you know, COVID hit. And so they weren't able to get it there. But do you think, I mean, we've had the road tax world finals here yeah. in 2013. That was the most, one of the most amazing events ever in the country. Yeah. Um, I, I just see, you know, we're a big market. You know, as you keep I talking know. about, we're a big country. It would be amazing to have the world championships here. Yeah, and it might be a good time for it, too, now that you have F1 really pushing hard into the U.S. Right. With three United States races, you know, obviously the FIA has a vested interest in coming to this market and trying to sell the sport of racing here. Um, and it might, you know, I would say that uh, the popularity of motorsport in general is pretty high right now. With Formula One and all that stuff getting a lot more coverage here, I think it might be a good time to strike and try to bring a big kart race here. I don't know if it would really affect the class structure here at all. I don't know if we would adopt a class hoping to, you know, get a world championship race or run that or whatever, but um, I think it would be cool. 
I, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I drove the Rock DVS, I think they call it. Yes. Which is kind of like an okay, yeah. it's like an okay similar engine. I drove that when they tested it here because they did think about bringing it to USPKS. Right. But, and it was awesome to drive. It was so fun. And I would love to race. I mean, I can't race that at this point. But I would love to see that <laughs> racing here. Well, you you could always run KZ Master, KZ2 Master, right? Like Jordan Muster and all them. <laughs> well, I'm not going to be Jordan. No, but at least you could race in that. I'm not here just to okay, race, David. I'm, I'm here to <laughs> boost my ego and try to do something. I love boosting egos because I, I don't ever get my ego boosted because I work with Rob Howden. I mean, you beat me that one time in that practice session, in oh that Yamaha God. practice session. You were faster So I heard me. Xander talking about how he was fast one time. Because remember what USPKS used to do, the pizza yeah. for happy hour, right? Yeah. Xander was talking about how one time he was quickest in happy hour, but they weren't doing the pizzas anymore. So yeah. he was kind of upset. And I'm like... Xander, I beat you in a happy hour. What what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and it was the same one I beat you in. Yeah, well, clearly he was having an off day. And that was the performance of your career, and it was the an off day for me. It that. was one of my performances because another one was uh, two years ago at the Brickyard when I beat uh, Michael Dittmer in a wow. pre-final. In Yamaha? In Yamaha. That's a that's a feat right there. And that the Yamaha, runs Yamaha literally well. had a five-year-old carb kit in it, so we had to ch- <laughs> It was bad. Anyway... But it was it, so. Now he calls me pre-final because I brag about beating him in a pre-final. <laughs> but again, anytime you win at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you gotta you gotta own it, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. how I look at it. You that, gotta ride that one for a while, I, and I'm gonna ride it all the way all the way through my career. That's all I'm doing at this point too. <laughs> Remember that one time I was fast six years ago in a practice session? Well, you're just gonna have to keep adding a year to it, right? Yeah. Every time. Yeah, but, I like uh, to go through and cherry pick all the my laps results, all the ones where I beat IndyCar drivers or whatever it is at this point. And uh, yeah, I go, yeah, see that Kyle Kirkwood guy? I beat him one time. Kirkwood, Askew. Kirkwood, Askew, Daly. Yeah, oh, Daly, yeah, that was, yeah. I didn't really race against Daly, actually. No, I, I raced against him in juniors. junior. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. Me and Daly one time at, um, North, at Charlotte, we were running junior ICA. And yes. we were both up there checking the timesheets after qualifying, and we were last and second to last. And we just looked at each other and we're like, "What's going on?" Like, I don't know. We suck. We're bad. That you know, I, I listened to his podcast. It's funny because he or the he did one with the Dale Junior download, yeah. and he talked about uh, you know racing Jika yeah. and how it kind of was an eye opener about you know they thought they could just come with one engine and one car, like I mean you can do that right, but. It just kind of depends on the level that you're at. Yeah. I mean, it's I, so different than this this stuff now, yeah, right? Don't yeah. you think? I mean, that's kind of how I've raced my whole career. It's never been like we have 10 engines to pick from. We have multiple right. chassis to choose. It's me and my dad or me and me and Scott or whoever tuning in the go-kart. And, yeah, it was him and his dad. Now, yeah. his dad was a Formula 1 driver, so it's a little different than that. Yeah. But, you know, they had the one engine, the one car, and he was talking about... I, I think it was Carlos Munoz or somebody like that that yeah. was his teammate where he had, they had an, a trailer full of engines to go through and everything like that. I'm like, well, it doesn't – it's not necessarily like that. Is, I, it, is it perception? Like, it's perception, think, okay. yeah. I mean, obviously money or whatever can help you buy a little bit of that stuff. It can right. kind of shortcut some of those things. But I do get annoyed when people are like, well, the only reason I'm not winning is because we're not spending $10,000 right. a weekend. Well, you can still win. You just got to make sure your one engine is dialed in. You got to make sure your driver is dialed in, and you got to make sure you know how to tune your chassis. If you can do those three things, you can be up front. It doesn't matter, you know, you're racing one engine, you're one driver, and one chassis at a time. If you have 15 engines, you get to use one of them. 
yeah, they may get to choose from the best engines, but these days, parity is pretty good. So it's not like you're getting monster engines out of there. Great advice for not only your current customers, but your future customers as well in course of sport. I think we'll end it there because I've, I've held you up long enough to be able to do this. It's an hour and a half now. Wow. Counting the first take that we did. That was, yeah. That flew by. So it did. It was I didn't good. even finish my beer. I know. That, and that's the other thing, too. You probably got to get drinking. So, again, thank you, TJ Coyan, for joining us here on the hot seat. Uh, appreciate it. Any shout-outs you want to give before we close this out? To anybody? Um, wife, shout maybe. out to young little Fletcher sitting at home. He has no idea where I am. He keeps asking <laughs> where I am. Shout out to Jackie, my wife. She's probably not going to watch my final, uh, but maybe she will. Maybe she can listen on ecardingnews.com because we'll be Jackie, playing. Jackie, if it you're online. listening, go to ekn.com slash live. ecardingnews.com slash live. Yep. Yeah, that's where you're going to want to go. Or. You can view it on YouTube, uh, whatever, if you care. I don't know. You got a lot of stuff going on. Anyway, uh, shout out to Scott Cop. He's grabbing a beer out of the cooler, and I'm about to do the same. But uh, I'm just happy to be here, DC. Thanks for having me. And I didn't touch on the van. Oh, man. We got to talk about the van. If you want. You want to have another hour-long podcast about dumb vans? No, no, no. Let's just do a five-minute five thing about the van All because right. it's, it's, it's a passion, right? Uh, it, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird to say you have a passion about old vans. I mean, everybody has their, their quirks. This yeah, this is a quirk for sure. <laughs> yeah, so if you don't know, I post about it on Instagram all the time, but I have this weird old Japanese van that was imported from Japan. Uh, it's a 1994 Toyota Hiace. I bought it because I wanted something weird. I wanted something quirky to haul my go-kart around in. And, and I drove it all the way here. You, you haul your cart in it, so it's not like it's a cruiser or something to take the family around. Do you, are you oh, able both. to put... Both. Yes. Yeah. So you're able to put the chairs back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the reason I got this nice, fancy, entirely too expensive, stupid 30-year-old van was because <laughs> this one actually had comfy seats and was nice to ride in, so my wife and my kid would be a little bit more cool about driving around in this one. They weren't embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> Fletcher really likes the van. He likes to go in there and play around in there. Uh, Believe my me, wife, I grew I don't know. You probably she had a van much. growing up, did you not? No, no? we didn't have a van. Oh, see, I, my dad I, always had just pickup trucks, oh, like hundred pickup trucks. We had the Ford Econoline van, like literally, that was what I drove when I turned sixteen. Oh yeah, a classic model. The it old had Ford the lights up top by the roof. Yeah, had the couch that turned into a bed. Everything. It nice. just didn't have the shag carpet like a lot of the older vans had. But yeah, yeah, I I, I can kind of relate because my kids. Uh, when my dad still had one, when they were little, they would run all over. They loved it. Like, yeah. my daughter told me, Daddy, why did we get rid of that van? I loved it so much. Because she just loved being – I think they love space. It's like a lot of room love, in there, yeah. It is. It's spacious. Yeah, we took it camping, and uh, Fletch just wanted to sit in the van and eat fruit snacks all day. Why not? He loved it. But, <laughs> yeah, it's – I like it a lot. It's goofy, and it's – I mean, it's not perfect for hauling go-karts around, but it does a pretty decent job. I've got it organized good enough. And it made the six-hour journey here from Wisconsin no problem. So Perfect. I get a lot of stairs when I'm driving it. Yeah. Well, not to mention it you have a cart sitting in there as well, yeah. too. Yeah, and so. I'm on the wrong side of the vehicle driving. Oh, I didn't even know that. You're Yeah, it's right-hand drive. Kidding me. Yeah. So that's got to throw you off when you come here to race, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I jump back in the van, and I don't know where I'm going. I jump, I'm in the car, and I feel like I'm all the way on the left side of the vehicle. Yeah. It's all... It's well, right, because the engine's on the right. It pushes to the left. Yeah, it's like driving one of those Nitro Kart cadets with the 206 there on the left go. side. Yeah. So, see? There you go. Because the engine is right there next to you under the seat. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. 
I'm going to have to check it out later this weekend. Yeah, we'll go look so, at it. All right. Again, thank you, TJ Quayan, for joining me on the hot seat here on eCardingNews.com. Uh, and, again, congrats on coming back. I love Again, we enjoy seeing you race. Again, it's a passion. We love seeing people come back and race. And, we, and we, again, we hope you keep coming back because I know you probably will, whether it be a year or even three or even five years from now. I know We know we'll see you back. Yeah, can't stay away. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Maybe, maybe, and eventually, maybe the kids will be into it too. I'll be, I'll always be at a go kart track somehow. And we'll get, we'll get, yeah, we can get into that next time that you come to the racetrack. Maybe yeah. a little bit about yeah. the kids. So again, thank you very much, and uh, thank you everyone for tuning in to the Ecan Hot Seat here with David Cole. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll see you at the next one.